was coming to fill the earth. This kingdom is unstoppable. My job is not to determine the outcome. That's God's job. I don't look back and judge him at my circumstance. I look back and see his faithfulness. I would not hit you, she flinched. <laughs> she thought I was gonna throw the ball at her. I would not, I would not. That was a great response. Usually, I don't get a response, so thanks. Um, we are going to continue our series on Acts today, and the theme that we've been talking about is reframing the house, and Rob's talked about the need for deconstruction of some things and a reconstruction of things, and we see that in our own life, but in Acts, we're seeing it in the life of church and in the life of God's people. And part of the problem, part of the reason why we need it it needed to be deconstructed and reconstructed and reframed was that Israel sometimes had this belief that you had to have like a special belief or you had to come into this certain space to encounter God. And God's heart from the very beginning that it, it wasn't about this space that we met God, but it was that God was coming to fill the earth with his glory, with his presence, and with his kingdom. And so we're going to show a quick little Bible Project video. We watched it at the beginning of the year um, just to kind of remind us of this truth. guys remember that video? I love that visual of heaven and earth coming back into oneness because that was God's heart from the beginning. That's what he made in the Garden of Eden. And uh, I, a couple months ago, Valentine's Day, uh, Cleveland and I, Cleveland's my son, we watched this video together. And so we always try to do something really special with our kids on Valentine's Day and take them out and we decorate their door. And so after watching this video, I started decorating Cleveland's door with these footprints. And what I wrote on the footprints on his door are all the ways I see where he is bringing heaven to earth. Where he, every, what I, and what I wanted him to catch was that every time he took a step, everywhere that he went, he was bringing God's reign and rule to the places he was going. And so there's footprints all over his door, um, 
Because God's heart is to heal what was broken and fractured and bring it back into oneness, this purple space. That's his heart from the very beginning, that we would go out and fill the earth. That was our mandate from the garden, that we would fill the earth with God's presence. And so how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news people that bring God's kingdom back where there's brokenness and fracturedness, if that's a word. I think it's a word. I'm going to say it's a word today. So if you guys have your Bibles, will you open them with me to Acts 5, 12? All right, I'm going to read just a few verses here. It says, The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord crowds of both men and women. And as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. And crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Does that sound like an invasion of the kingdom? Literally, Peter's shadow as he's going was bringing healing and restoration. People who had demons, evil spirits, were set free as Peter and the apostles began to walk and bring God's kingdom. I love what N.T. Wright says about signs and wonders. He says, sometimes us in the West, we get this idea that when we see a miracle or hear about a miracle, it's as if God comes and he does this like little miracle and then he goes away. When we know God is always at work around us, he never leaves and comes back. He's always present. But a sign and wonder is almost this idea of like God pulling back the curtain and allowing you to see him work in a new way. And then he goes back. And he's always there, but he just is pulling back this thing so we can catch a glimpse of his heart and the way that he works. And I love that picture. I love that as the disciples were going out, they weren't, it wasn't just signs and wonders that were declaring the kingdom. It was in their proclamation. It was in their preaching. It was in their generosity, as we heard last week. It was in their unity that all the times, all the ways they were going, they were bringing this intersection of heaven and earth back together. All right, let's finish the rest of chapter five. Here we go. Picking up at verse 17, it says, the high priest and his officials who were Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. Then he told him, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. Come on, that's a good command. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. And when the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assemble of the elders of Israel. 
Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported, uh, the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. And when the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the priests confronted them. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name, he demanded? Instead, you filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about it, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. And he did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things. Notice that word witness. It's been in Acts over and over and over again. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill him. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care what you're planning to do with these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Thutis who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed and all his followers went their various ways and the whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they're planning and doing things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But, but if it's from God, you will not be able to overthrow them, and you may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice, called in the apostles, and had him flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus and let him go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Did you catch that where they were meeting at at the beginning of the story? It says they were meeting at the temple. The temple in their mind was kind of this sacred space in the Jewish mind. It was a space where you would like come to meet with God or come to see God. But, but really they were missing that it was about encountering God instead of coming to a place to see God. See, that's what makes you and I different and the story of our faith different than anyone else on earth. Okay, because we have a God who is with us. God with us changes everything. It was like that in the garden. 
When God came and he walked with Adam and Eve and then sin came in and made everything go wonky and it ruined it all. And then, but God's presence still came back in the form of the tabernacle. And then David couldn't handle that God's presence was in this tent. And so he decided to build this temple that his son ended up building. And so God's presence was in this temple in this space. But then Israel kept missing the point. And they were sent into exile. And as they were sent into the exile, God's presence left the temple. But that's not the end of the story because we know God with us, Emmanuel, came in the form of Jesus. And so God's presence came back to earth because God wanted to fill the earth with his glory, with his presence. And because we are filled with Jesus, we are now the temple. We are now the carriers of God's presence. And so everywhere I go, everywhere I walk, everywhere that Jesus walked, we have the ability to bring forgiveness and healing and wholeness and salvation because Christ in us allows us to do that. See, the Jewish people, they had like the temple was the spiritual and power center for them. And they thought that you had to come to this place to receive healing and forgiveness. And so the leaders were furious. They were so angry because these, they were trying to keep this place pure. But these apostles were coming and ruining it all. And Jesus came and he was ruining it all. And they, he was upsetting their apple cart. And they were so mad. And they were trying to keep this container safe. They were more worried about the container instead of God's heart, that they would be a contaminator, that they would go and fill the earth with his presence. N.T. Wright says this, talking about their religious leaders, it said, they had this power because they were the guardians of the central shrine, the holiest spot on earth, and they could not simply allow the apostles to carry on the way they were going. God's honor would be compromised Israel would be led astray, and disaster might strike. You guys ever seen little kids play basketball? You guys ever seen that? So you, you tell a kid to start playing defense, and what do they do? They're like guarding their man, and they're like sticking close or whatever. And, and what they don't really realize is that it's the ball that scores. Your person that has the ball is the one that scores. But all they're worried about is like staying with their man. And so they stick really closely and they have no idea what's going on around them. So much so that even sometimes their team gets the ball on offense and they're still guarding their man. You know, you ever seen that? That's kind of like what we see here. The Israelites were so worried about keeping this, guarding it, keeping it pure, keeping it safe. They missed the whole point. They missed the whole point of God himself. They missed it all. So God is coming in because he's saying, you're missing me. And so I got to deconstruct the house. And I'm going to reframe it in a way that you are now my house. You are now my temple. And I send you out that you can carry my forgiveness and my wholeness and my healing to a world that is so desperate to hear it. 
We would never, like, maybe think that a place is special, right? Like, we would never fall under, like, I should go to church to find forgiveness. Or maybe, like, a Bible study will help me more. Like, we, we would never fall into that, right? That we would be more concerned about a place than a person when it's all about his spirit in us. I'm glad you guys don't struggle with that. Glad I'm the only one. So as we go, as we take this invasion, one of the ways that God's kingdom comes to earth is through hearing and responding to his voice. Um, It's the story of Acts. It's our story. The thing I love about God is this is actually his story, and I'm a player in his story. I'm not a player. I'm a part of his story. That sounded bad. Um, I get to be a part of his story, and because it's about him, he's the one that sets my identity. He's the one who says who I am, and my obedience is a reflection of that, and so I get to live out who God is and who he says he is, and my obedience isn't a chore It's not earning his love. It's not performing for anything because it's all set by God. And I am reflecting that out into the world. In Matthew 28, Jesus says this. He tells his apostles, he says, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all the commandments I've given you. Disciples, go live this out. That's what obedience is. You want to be my people? Obedience is living out what that looks like. It's not a duty. Obedience is an act of love. It's my getting to partner with God and bring his kingdom everywhere I go. That's what obedience is. It's responding to his voice, to his leading And so we've seen this in Acts so far. In the beginning of Acts, Jesus tells his his followers, hey, don't leave till the Spirit comes. They stay there. Good job. Then he tells them, when the Spirit comes, you're going to be my witnesses out in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And we see that begin to happen. And then we pick this up even in Acts 5, what we're reading today. If you look at verse 19, the angel comes in, rescues them, tells them, hey, go. Go speak this message of life. And so they immediately left and began sharing this message of life, which ironically comes through death, weakness, vulnerability, and the nobody sometimes. That's what this message of life comes through. And so the disciples, they're hearing and responding, and the kingdom is going forth, and we even see it. In verse 29 and 30, it says, uh, we got to obey God rather than humans. Okay? This is who I follow. I follow God. I'm not following human, human tradition. That's not what I'm after. In 31 and 32, it says this. It says, um, yeah, then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand, as prince and savior. And he did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. And we are witnesses of these things. And by the way, if we're not enough, so is the Holy Spirit. So I don't think you can argue with that. 
It's got like a mic drop, like, ah! And the Holy Spirit's given by God to those who obey him. Their confidence is in their prince and savior. Prince, some of you guys might have a different translation than the one I read. Some of it says leader. They're talking to the religious leaders, but they're like, "Uh uh-uh. I follow my leader, and my leader is always at work. And he's the one that says, come, follow me. And that's who I follow. That's where my confidence is because I know he's going to lead me and I know he's going to speak to me and I get to respond to this. And so that's where the disciples' hope comes from. That's why they can take these big, bold steps of faith. Sometimes they're big and bold and sometimes they're little. But all of it are steps of faith because they're hearing and responding to the voice of God. And then at the end, it says they left rejoicing and they continued to teach and preach. And so what did their obedience look like? Goodness, it looked like life for others. It looked like freedom and love and wholeness and your good at my expense. Generosity. I'll take some of that. I'll take that work of the kingdom. A couple years ago, we were in a, um, I was meeting with a group of people and uh, they were running a missional community, and they were frustrated with how their community was going, and I was a little frustrated at maybe some of their responses, and so we were meeting to talk and um, hopefully kind to find a way forward in all of this. And so in my head, like before I went, I kind of knew all the things they should do. You ever like feel frustrated with someone and you know what they should do? You know, okay, I'm the only one again. Um, Anyways, that's where I was. But I started praying about it. And I felt like God told me, when you get there, wash their feet. And so we get into the meeting and we're walking together. And it's, when there's tension, sometimes there's a little bit of awkwardness. And it was kind of awkward. But I remembered God said, wash their feet. So I got down and I started one by one going around and washing their feet and speaking words of life. And the tension melted away. And our eyes and our focus were back on God where they should have been. If God hadn't spoken that to me, like, I don't know how that meeting would have went. But because he spoke and I responded, his presence was able to come in. And his kingdom came right in that room. And we were able to move forward. Um, I don't always get it right. I get it wrong more than I get it right. It was one, the t- one time I happened to get it right. But when God's kingdom breaks in, okay, the invasion starts happening. Okay, we're seeing that with the disciples. But look at the opposite of this in this passage. Look at the religious leaders. Look at verse 17. It says the religious leaders were filled with, with jealousy. What were the disciples filled with? His spirit. The leaders were filled with jealousy. They had done everything right. They were living the right way. They were doing all the things they were supposed to do, but then these randoms, these nobodies, show up And they have this authority and this power and this popularity and this persuasion, and they are jealous. 
Has that ever happened to you? You've done things the right way. Maybe you're one that's, that's not gone and maybe hooked up with a lot of people and you still don't have that significant other. You one that maybe has worked really, really hard on a test and you come in and you see the guy next to you cheating and they get a better grade than you. What does that do to us on our insides? That jealousy begins to creep in. I find it creeping in in my parenting when I see like other kids who are excelling and like sunshine, roses, and rainbows or unicorns are happening. And then, and then I see my kids who are struggling and I get jealous sometimes. I'm trying to do things the right way, but it just isn't working out the way that I saw it. These leaders are, are filled with fear, too. Look at verse 26. It said, they were afraid the people would stone them. So they're filled with jealousy. They're filled with fear. And in verse 33, it says these leaders, um, when they heard this, they were furious and decided to kill them. Anger, fear, jealousy. It's like they've lost their sense of power and control. And when you feel that slipping away, you tend to fear and control even more because you don't think you're going to have what you need. Isn't that the story of Ananias and Sapphira? They didn't think there was going to be enough, so they came in and started controlling that money, and it led to death. When we respond out of fear, when we respond out of anger and jealousy, it doesn't lead to life doesn't lead to the ways of the kingdom. We had a girl in youth group that came one day, and she was dressed fairly and appropriately. And I walked in, and I saw her, and I started to get kind of nervous. And I was afraid of what other people were saying. And then when you start thinking that, and you look around, and you see everyone talking, you're like, oh, they're talking about that. And so I looked around and I began to get afraid of what everyone else was thinking. Everyone else was saying, well, what are the guys going to do? Like, she's dressed so inappropriately and like, oh, all of these things. And so out of my fear, because I didn't, I didn't know what to do, I ended up going alongside her and I asked her, I said, hey, would you mind maybe putting on this different shirt? And so she did. And to this day, my heart is so grieved by what I did because I never stopped and asked God, what would you have me do? My actions were out of this place of fear. And I never asked, what would she need? It was like I was more concerned with the outside of what she looked like than the needs of her heart. She actually had a really broken relationship with her dad at home. And so she was looking for love and affirmation and all of those things. But I missed it because I was responding out of fear instead of stopping and asking, God, 
what would you have me do? And that grieves my heart to this day. That was like 15 years ago. And I still long to redo that. Because I think if I, had, if I had ever asked God, I think he would have shown me a way forward with her that would have said, God loves you for more than your outside. God wants to come in and transform your heart and speak life. And I missed it. And so when we, we look at the leaders of that day and their responses, it led to these heavy yokes that they placed on people. It led to missing God. It led to, like, doing things out of guilt. You guys ever do that? You feel like you should do things, you do things out of guilt, instead of responding to what is he saying? Not out of guilt. The fastest growing church in the world right now is in Iran. Iran! That's crazy. In a place where they are literally dying for their faith, in a place where you can't meet in a church, you can't do all of these things, the church is growing more rapidly there than anywhere else. And you know why? It's because they have decided that they are going to listen to God's voice and respond. They are doing discipleship there where they are teaching people from the moment they meet him, whether they know God or not, this is what God's voice is like, listen, and then take a step of faith. And the church is growing. It says this, the converts run away from persecution, but the disciples would die for the Lord in persecution. The simple but profound thing of what is God saying and how am I going to respond to it? This is bringing the kingdoms. Our job is to listen to that and respond. My job is not to determine the outcome. That's God's job. I'm not worried about the outcome. What I am trying to do is follow him. Where is he going? Where is he leading? That's where I go. That's where I take my step of faith. And so don't get bogged down in the shoulds. Well, I need to do this. I should do this. People came to Jesus all the time. And I'm like, Jesus, you should be going to this festival. Jesus, you should be talking to these people over here. And Jesus' words were, uh-uh. I only do what I see my father doing, and I only say what I hear my father saying. God in us, that's what we do. This is what it looks like. So we don't respond to perform. We don't respond to earn anything. We, res we respond because God speaks, and he leads, and he is desperate for heaven and earth to come back to one. And so we have this kingdom that is unstoppable because we have this unstoppable God. It's like this beach ball. You guys ever seen a beach ball where you like try to keep it underwater? What happens to it? It always pops back up. It's like no matter what, you can't keep it down very long. And that's what this kingdom is like. It's like these leaders, like for crying out loud, they, they killed Jesus on a cross. They're like, yes, we won. Just kidding. He's back. Then like a few chapters earlier, they're like, we put the apostles in jail. 
and they keep teaching and preaching. And this time, they put him in jail again. And an angel comes? Like, are you kidding me? Like, every time they keep trying to smash this thing, it keeps popping back up. They can't squelch it. And so Gamaliel's like, hey, if this is from God, you're not going to be able to overthrow it. And even more, you're going to find yourself fighting against God. Tertullian said this to the Roman Empire. He said, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. The seed is the blood of the Christians. You try to take us out. I'm sorry. I thought I would not hit you. She flinched. She thought I was going to throw the ball at her. I would not. I would not. But this kingdom is unstoppable. And you know what? I believe it. And I am up here proclaiming it, that God's kingdom is unstoppable. I completely agree with Gamaliel. Then I like see that on a macro level, but then on a micro level, when it comes into my very own doubts and struggles, that's hard. That's when I don't know if I believe. I begin to doubt, is God's kingdom unstoppable? It's like up close, whatever I'm facing looks too big. And so I hear Tertullian, and I see the Iranian church, and I'm like, yes, God, your kingdom is unstoppable. But then if I get an F on my test, do I think God's abandoned me? I see Iran and Tertullian, and yes, but then my anxiety creeps back in. I'm like, oh, God, where are you? Or that temptation that keeps coming around his back. And I know you're unstoppable, but are you unstoppable in this, God? So how do we get from, I believe, help my unbelief. How do we make it connect? I think one of the best things we can do is invite God into that space. Invite him into my very doubt and my struggle and begin to declare who he is more than my circumstance. God, you're bigger than my circumstance. You're bigger than this. I'm gonna declare that. I think we can look back and begin to see, God, where have you been at work? Where have you been faithful in my life in the past? Because am I equating every bad or difficult situation and thinking that the enemy wins? Or do I see it all through the lens of the cross and see that even in spite of pain and death, God can do miraculous work? Isn't that what the disciples were doing at the end when they were rejoicing? Like they just were flogged. That's not on my top priority of things to have done to me. But they were rejoicing after they were flogged because their faith was not in the immediate outcome. Their faith was in him and in the ultimate outcome. And because they were able to hold on to that, they could rejoice in the midst of suffering, of torture, quite frankly, all of that stuff. The religious leaders, they had this power and they thought the kingdom broke in in their power and their power structure. 
but the kingdom will often break through in our weakness and in our struggle and in our suffering and in our difficulty. That's where God's kingdom breaks in and breaks through. And I fight it every day because I want it to come in the good, and it does come in the good sometimes. But it also comes in the hardship. And so Psalm 22 has been super helpful for me. It's the psalm that starts out that says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the end, it ends with, The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and future generations will hear of what God has done. And how do we start at, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we get to the whole earth is like, going to know what you did? It's brilliant because the psalmist begins to walk us through. And as he's feeling abandoned and alone and struggling in his grief and doubt, he has this ability to look back and see what God has done for Israel. And sometimes that's where we have to start, guys. We can't start and see where God's been at work in our own life. We have to start where God's been at work in the lives of others. Because sometimes it's just too big and too close in our own heart. But I can see where God's moved in others. And that builds my faith. And so the psalmist, it builds something in him. And then he starts waffling a little more. You see him and he's like, oh, but my struggles, my struggles. Oh no, they're coming back. And then because he had that faith, he began to look like way back in his life. And was like, hey, even from my mother's womb, you have been there. And so he looks back in his own life. And it begins to build something in him again. And then he starts waffling a little bit more because he's human, like all of us. But then he says, I cry out to you, God, save me. And after he declares that, the language of the psalm switches to, I will praise you. I will proclaim your goodness. And he says this in verse 24, for he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries for help. If the communion people want to go get communion, you can start passing it out right away. When we're struggling with God's unstoppable kingdom, is it, I believe it in theory, I'm having trouble believing it in my own life, it's so important to be able to look back. Look back and see his faithfulness. Look back where he has proven himself faithful over and over again. And sometimes you can't see it in your own life, but it doesn't diminish his faithfulness because you can see it in the life of others. And so let that reminder push you back into God. About three years ago, we walked through Probably the hardest season, not probably, it was the hardest season I had ever walked through in my life. It was a time of intense loss, intense sorrow that brought so much confusion. And we had done things right. Like we hadn't done anything wrong and we were experiencing this devastation in our family's life. And I literally, over the process of a couple years, began to do Psalm 22, where I could look back and see where God has been faithful with others. Because it felt too painful to see where he had been at work in my life. But I could see where he was at work in the lives of others. And then, a few months later, I could see, God, no, you've been faithful to us, and I could remember. 
And by the end of it, my circumstance never changed. It wasn't that things magically got better, but my perspective did. And when I began to look and see God, it changed everything. So as we take communion today, that's what I want us to remember. That our communion is a reminder of his unstoppable kingdom. Can't stop, won't stop. That's what he says. Can't stop, won't stop. That's his kingdom. I don't look back and judge him at my circumstance. I look back and see his faithfulness as a reminder. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. That's why we love their story so much is because they said, oh God, we know you were able to save us, but even if, even if, we know you are still with us. And so that's what we remember today. We look back. And we see, and we, as we take the bread and as we take the juice, we remember, God, your kingdom will not stop. And I do this as a reminder of myself that your kingdom is coming. Oh, to grace, how great.